Renovate is a ministry of Christ Chapel in Fort Worth, Texas. It's a ministry for young adults, so that's whether you're in college, whether you're in your 30s, whether you're a young married couple, or whether you're single. Our desire is to see lives renovated by Jesus and for Jesus. Enjoy. Amen. How are we? Yes. Good. Good. Okay. Uh, I'm excited uh, about tonight. I'm excited about getting to preach God's word. I'm excited about getting to worship this good God that no mountain and no valley stands between us. Um, Man, would that be true? Would that be really true in our lives? Um, we're, We're glad you're here. Like Josh and Carly said, or if you walked in late, we really are glad you're here, man. We want we want this thing to be about Jesus, and we want our eyes to be able to be fixed on Jesus, and we want to be able to see and know him more, and we want that to change our lives, and that's why, uh, that's why we do this. Uh, we're in this series right now called uh, The Stories That Jesus Told, and we're looking at parables. Um, we're looking at these very strategic, instrumental, important stories that Jesus Christ told all throughout the Gospels. And uh, tonight, we're looking at a story that Jesus told in Matthew 25, uh, so if you've got your Bible, start flipping to Matthew 25 or on your phones, or if it's way easier for you to follow, we'll throw it up on the screen if that's uh, easier for you. <clears throat> while you're flipping there, I'm going to tell a story that I've told before. I tell it at dinner parties all the time. Um, there I was, walking into a wedding. <clears throat> I was with my dad. We'd driven across the other side of Dallas to go to my cousin's wedding, right? Because that's what you do when your cousin gets married. You go to his wedding. And I was walking into, it was like a two o'clock wedding. So it was like 1.59 and we're like walking in together. And my, one of my other cousins was the guy handing out the bulletins. And as he handed me the bulletin, <clears throat> he handed me the bulletin and he said, hey, you, you know you're officiating this wedding, right? And I was like, ha <laughs> cuz, put her there. He was like, no, seriously, I looked down on the bulletin and there was my name on the top of the bulletin, officiant Ben Fuquay. People have bad dreams about that, right? Like you have bad dreams where you're like all of a sudden you're in a play and you don't remember or you show up to school and you didn't know there was a test or you like go to work and you forgot to wear clothes. Those kind of things you have dreams about. This was a reality. I showed up to my cousin's wedding right at the start time, didn't know I was officiating. And I've done a lot of weddings in my life. Some of them I was, I would honestly say I was pretty good. I did a pretty good job at that wedding. This was not one of those weddings. Uh, this was not one of the good weddings uh, that I really was a part of. Um, and so, uh, so, yeah, so there was this major surprise in my life to learn as I'm walking to a wedding, oh, no, oh, no, man, I am caught off guard. I am not prepared. I am not ready for this. Whole chain of events of how that even happened. We can talk about it later over coffee. But uh, the, point is, uh, the, the point is there are surprises that happen. Right? And there are moments in our life where we have, whether it's you show up and you didn't know the test was that day, or you didn't know that the report was due that day, or you didn't realize the expectations that somebody else had on you, and you walk into that surprise and you have that, oh no, moment. Uh, Matthew 25 directly speaks and warns and prepares us. If you are a follower of Christ, if you say, man, I'm a Christian, then Matthew 25 and the story Jesus tells here is explicitly to prepare you so that you don't have that oh no moment. So that one day when you get before the God of the universe and he expects something, that you don't say, oh my goodness, I didn't know that I was supposed to be doing this. 
uh, Matthew 25 is sobering and beautiful and challenging and encouraging all at once. The context of Matthew 25 is Jesus is getting near to the cross, right, where he is crucified, buried, and then risen again. So we're going to get towards the end of, of Matthew, right? There's 28 chapters in Matthew. We're in 25, and he's nearing the end. And he's telling his disciples these stories that have to do with after he dies and raises, he's trying to tell them through stories so that they might understand he will return. There will be a return of Jesus Christ. And they don't really know what's going on, and they're not fully tracking with it, but he is telling them, here is what to expect when I return. Here's what it's going to be like when the God of the universe, when I return in all of my glory to sit on the throne. And so he's telling this story, the parable before this story, is in preparation to prepare people's hearts. That's what we believe. But as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He did what he said he did. He rose again. He ascended. And we believe that we are living in this time period that he has already accomplished everything to purchase freedom and salvation, saving us. But there is also a not yet of he has not fully returned, making his kingdom perfect and his eternal reign with, with us, right? And so, and so we kind of live in this time period. And so he, at the very beginning of this time period, 2,000 years ago, is saying, hey, What's it going to be like when he returns? What is the expectation that Jesus has? Look at verse 14. And I'm just gonna read the whole story for you because it's awesome. And I just want you to hear the whole story and the whole flow. It's about 15 verses. Take a couple minutes, but Jesus is an amazing storyteller. So track with me here. This is what Jesus says. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, and talents is a denomination of money, right? It's a large denomination of, of money. To another, two. To another, one. To each, according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, guess what? I made you five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Incredible encouragement, incredible words to hear from the master. Then verse 22, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. This is the master's response. But his master answered to him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
sobering. <clears throat> also, good coffee shop verse right there. T-shirt, coffee mug, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a good one. Think about it for your next Instagram post. <clears throat> Here's what's happened, right? You guys see what happens, right? A guy, big investor. Hey, he, you show up, you get a check. Say, hey man, here's 10, right? Here's five, here's two, here's one. They go and invest. The first guy goes and invests in Yeti coolers and uh, you know Blockbuster, which doesn't work out too much, and then slap bracelets and fanny packs, and he comes back and he's like, man, I doubled my money, right? The next guy, I'm gonna invest in hipster hats, trucker hats, and I'm gonna invest in oversized sorority t-shirts, and he doubles his money, right? And the third guy invests in nothing, and we see what, God, what the master does here. We see what Jesus is saying here, right? We see this, this picture of how Jesus is saying, look at what I'm holding this man accountable to. Look at what the owner is holding this person who he's given to, and he hasn't invested. He hasn't taken risks. He hasn't challenged. Uh, he hasn't gone out of his comfort zone. He has buried his money, sat on it, done nothing with it. There's five there's a million truths in this passage. There's five big truths, five big themes I wanna pull out that I think for us in this room, I want us to hear, I want us to have ears to hear them, I want to hear them myself, uh, I want the Lord to take them and sear them in my brain and in my heart so that I might do, so that I might stand before the Lord one day and not have the oh no moment of, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that there were expectations for how you have saved me but now called me to live my life. Um, Five big truths I want us to see. Here we go. The first one, the first one, which is explicit throughout this text. We are not called to sit and wait. There is work to be done. This is an imperative, right? An exhortation from this passage that we are not to sit and wait. There is work to be done, right? The overarching theme of this whole parable is this idea. There is work to be done in the waiting, right? The first two servants, they worked, they invested. The third one didn't. And so often, Here's what we do with our Christian faith. What we do with our Christian faith so often, at least in my experience, is we treat it like um, a bus ticket, right? We treat it like a bus ticket where we think, okay, um, this whole thing, I need to get this ticket to heaven, right? There, there's this thing coming one day or this worldview that I'm supposed to have that is going to end up in, in either paradise or hell, and I don't want this option, so I want this option. And so salvation or my faith in God becomes this bus ticket. And our Christian faith functions so, so often like this. I, was, I used to travel and do youth camps a, a long time ago, and I was at a lot of youth camps. And I remember one time hearing somebody at some youth camp say, man, all you have to do is just pray this prayer, right? And, and his whole sermon was just driven by this idea of all you have to do to be a Christian is pray this prayer. And I remember thinking, what are you talking about? What, what Bible, what Bible are you reading that says all the Christian has to do is pray a prayer, repeat after me a, a prayer? That's not what Christ calls us. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus has set before those who follow him. Um, Yes, do we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved? Yes, praise God for his word in that. Was confessing with your mouth that Jesus was Lord suicide in the context that was written? Yes. To say Jesus was Lord was, was a middle finger to Caesar, which meant execution. So all throughout scripture, God has called us to put our saving, we are not saved by works. We are not saved by how great you live the Christian life, by how much in this sermon, when we talk a lot about investing your life, you will not be saved by how you invest your life. You are saved by faith. 
by faith in Jesus Christ, and it is by his grace that we are completely saved. Don't hear anything other than that when it comes to salvation. But within what I do with the salvation that I'm given, I will stand before the Lord and I'll give an account for that. If you are saved, you will stand before a Lord who loves you and claims you and calls you his own, but you will give an account for that. And if we have ears to hear to protect us from that, oh no moment, what have I done with my life? And we are not called to sit and wait and wait for just the bus to arrive. We just live the Christian life. Okay, I got my ticket and now I just sit here until either I die or he comes back and I know I got a ticket. We are called to invest our life. Invest, invest, invest our life. The third servant just sat there on his talents waiting. And I, I love this room because um, I love preaching in this room for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because I, I, we're a lot of young adults in this room. And we're a lot of people who still have a lot of life to live. And we still have a lot of investment to give. And we're a generation, too, who I think in a lot of ways doesn't want to settle. Doesn't want to settle for cultural Christianity or the bus ticket faith. We want to see a radical move of God in our lifetime, in our generation, in our city, in our schools, in our country, in our world. We want to see the movement of God and we want to be a part of that. Um, But there's a couple of traps that we fall into. Right, there's a few traps that we fall into when, when, when we get stuck just sitting. Uh, one of them, and I often think about this in my own faith, is I think, man, why, why am I not investing? Why are, why are we not living radical lives? And we'll unpack a little bit more. But why is that investment maybe not happening as much? And so often I think it's because of procrastination. That is a theme of my life, man. That is my spiritual gift, at least when it came to the academic world, right? Just procrastination. I was bad at it and sinful at it and all that kind of stuff. But I I think I do that oftentimes with how I use my life in surrender to the Lord. Because so often, and if this is you, great. If it's not, um, keep checking your heart. Um, I, I think we say, well, I'm in a really busy season right now. I don't necessarily have time to invest aspects of my life to the Lord in the way I should, just because I'm in this season, right? I'm in this season right now where maybe... I did college ministry for a long time, and it feels like, man, when you're a college student, I get it. It feels like, man, there's infinite things to do, and there's all this, all this stuff on your plate and your social calendar and your academic calendar, papers you have to do. But then you exit that world, and what was busy now becomes infinitely more busy. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, now I have things, but now I have to be here super early. And, and all of a sudden, it, you become even busier and busier. And then one day, if Lord bless you with a wife, and it's like, okay, now my world really doesn't revolve around me, but meeting her needs. And then, and then maybe one day, if you're blessed with you, you have babies. And then you, we procrastinate so often. And so often, we take seasons of our life and say, well, this is just a busy season for me. I can't really, I can't really invest. So as you're evaluating yourself, Say, man, I'm going to be held accountable to this. Is procrastination keeping you sitting on talents and gifts and blessings that the Lord has given you for his purpose? A second trap we fall into is just bitterness towards God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but um, there's been seasons in my life where I felt like, man, I don't want to serve God because I'm angry at God. And yeah, I love him. I know I love him. And yeah, I know he loves me, but I'm angry. Or I'm not getting what I want, God. Why am I still in this season? Why do I still have this going on? I'm not getting what I want, and so there's this bitterness and entitlement that he needs to meet my needs first, and then I will serve him. And how, how backwards is that? If this parable, if the landowner said that, or there was bitterness, say, well, you should have served me first, right? We get so backwards 
and who sits on the throne of our will and our desires and our heart, or maybe, and I think this is probably most true in this parable, fear. Right? Fear holds us back from investing what God has given us. Fear of failure, fear of not knowing what the heck we're doing, fear of embarrassing ourselves, fear of just not being enough if we take a step of faith and it not working out. Fear becomes a big factor in that, and I want to speak to that here in just a second. So whatever the excuse, right, whatever that excuse that so often keeps us not investing in radical ways, uh, my hope and prayer is that we have ears to hear this truth. We are not called to sit there. There is work to be done. Uh, let me tell you a couple stories. So let's talk about what would that look like? What would it look like to invest? Right? What, what might it look like in your life to invest? A few random, random thoughts. There's a guy who um, just became a follower of Christ maybe less than two years ago. Uh, he, he's a part of this ministry. He went to a wedding, got saved. God did a lot of crazy stuff in his life, put his faith in Christ. And now he shows up every Wednesday night and cooks the dinner that you guys eat, right? He's one of the guys that just cooks every, every week and shows up and says, okay, because he, he got saved to something and he says, okay, great. Now my life is not my own and I wanna serve and I wanna do something and I wanna use my gifts. And so, man, okay, we're cooking a bunch of food and not charging people. So I'm gonna show up early and I'm gonna cook food for a bunch of people to bless them in their night right? Um, we've got, uh, we, we, there's a guy I know who, uh, he works for a consulting firm <clears throat> and he sees his consulting firm not as the ladder for his success. He sees his consulting firm that he works at as an opportunity for him to do ministry, kingdom investments, right? To invest eternally in people's lives. And so he uses his role and his position and, and everything about his job to be able to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who would never come to church, would never come to renovate. So he has a Bible study in his workplace and he works in a different way and he serves people in a different way and he won't get the promotion, I would almost guarantee you at some point because he's saying, you know what, I'm not going to do it that way because he is modeling what it looks like to be a servant leader. He's modeling what it looks like to love sacrificially to the people around him, right? And so in his workplace, he sees it differently. Uh, my grandmother is an example of a woman who, my, parents were my grandparents were missionaries in Mexico. My grandmother didn't speak Spanish very well, though, which hinders things uh, when you're living in Mexico. And so my grandfather's out there planning churches for 40 years, and my grandmother is living in a trailer, ministering to the people who are in walking distance proximity and praying all day long in a trailer for the salvation of the people that they're ministering to, for her grandkids and her kids, and that God would move in mighty ways. And so she uses this 40-year season of her life to be on her knees to pray and pray and beg and beg for God to do mighty things. I work with a woman named Kristen Hines, who is incredibly godly, who loves the Lord, who graduated from TCU and then used that degree for the last decade, making not what she could and should have made from graduating from TCU, but instead working for a church and at every turn ministering to young women. No matter what the pay was, when it was up, when it was cut down to part-time, when it was about, all of those things to say, man, I am called to do this. And so she invests every hour that she's asked to, to say, I want to invest in the lives of young women and plant seeds in their life. And I've seen fruit and fruit and fruit come from that because of God's power, but through her radical obedience. And it's not just about getting in vocational ministry either. I don't want this to sound like, oh, investing in ministry is about going and doing 
working for a church. I know a guy who, um, incredibly gifted guy, who worked for a mega church, and God called him out of that mega church in a neat role to go and work with underprivileged kids and moms in areas that, that, that weren't coming into the church, to go and be the hands and feet of Christ and leave a big, comfortable mega church, to go and reach families that needed Jesus, and we're gonna walk into a fancy mega church near the highway, right? I know a bunch of nurses last May who took their paid time off to go on a mission trip to Belize. They used their vacation time to get on a plane and fly down to Belize and minister to Belizean people who didn't have access to the kind of healthcare that they were able to bless and minister to them with. Um, and what's it look like to invest for you? What does that look like? You're not, you are not called, you are not allowed to just sit on your life. You are called and expected to invest it in ways that are out of your comfort zone. What's that look like? To college students, it looks like seeing your college campus primarily as your mission field. Seeing your role as a college student as actually primarily a missionary to a college campus and to those who God has put in your life. The, the being a good steward of the relationships you have. That you are not a college student first, you are a missionary first who happens to also be a college student. To my brothers and sisters who are in the working world, it looks like seeing your office as your mission field. That you are not an engineer or a nurse or an admin or a whatever it is that you do primarily, you are a missionary first. Being a good steward with the relationships that God's put in your life to say these are relationships that are not just haphazard. These are relationships that if I have the eyes of Christ, I see as opportunities to invest in their life, opportunities to share what Jesus is doing and has done and will do in my life with them, seeing my workplace as a mission field. It means, it means that we see our families and anxiety that we have when we get close to the holidays of, oh man, this is gonna be tough. This is gonna be tough or I'm gonna have to fight through some awkward conversations or we're gonna have to have some shallow conversations because I don't wanna go deep with some family members or some friends back home that you haven't seen or whatever that looks like and, and instead seeing that as a mission field to say, Lord, how can I be radically obedient through the holidays and, and invest them and not just sit on the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just sit on the love of Christ that I have and am experiencing and need to continue to walk in. That's what it looks like. Okay, so second big truth. Second big truth from Matthew 25, and this is important because if we feel the weight and the excitement that yes, we're called to go and do and love and, and invest our life and we're called to step out of our comfort zone, then yes, we should feel this weight and yes, this is freeing that you have what you need to be effective. You have what you need to be effective. Look at verse 14. <clears throat> For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five, to the other two, to one two, each according to his abilities, then he went away. What's happening here is these men are given the talents to invest. They don't have to build it from scratch. It's not their money they're investing. They don't have, they are, the, the landowner says, yes, I am giving you what you need. All throughout scripture, our God says, I will give you what you need. Ephesians 2.10 Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Who created the works that we're called to do? Who created the works that we are going to be held accountable 
to? Who, who created these works, these good things, these things that we're supposed to invest in, these opportunities that we're supposed to be looking for and praying for and diligent to and radical about? Who created them? The God of the universe did. And, and he created you for them. He has prepared what he desires us to do. For we are his workmanship. Praise God for that. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we get to walk in. The excuse that I don't have the abilities to be effective for the kingdom. The excuse that, man, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not extroverted enough. I'm not talented enough to make an impact in the kingdom of God in, in the way that we're talking about it, in this investment kind of way. To say that is to believe a lie that God is not powerful. To say that we aren't good enough, aren't gifted enough, aren't talented enough, aren't savvy enough, aren't whatever it is, whatever the lie is that you believe is ultimately at the foundation to say, I, I don't think God's powerful enough to use me which we know is a lie. Christians in this room, you know that is a lie. The God who raises the dead, the God who parts a sea, the God who heals the leper. This God uses us, wants to use us, has prepared for us the works and has prepared in you. He has given you the talents to do that. The excuse of, well, I don't see the opportunities is to say, well, I'm not seeing through the lens of Christ. I don't believe God has a purpose and plan enough to radically want to seek that out and look for those opportunities. And, and what I don't want you to hear um, tonight is have self-confidence. What I'm not preaching is, man, be confident in yourself because actually you suck. <laughs> I suck. This is, not, this is not a sermon about self-confidence, right? This is not a point about, man, just believe in yourself. This is a confidence of, the confidence is, hey, you suck, great. We can all agree on that. I suck, right? We're all in the same boat there. But God still uses us in incredible ways. And he uses broken people. And he uses people whose gifts don't make sense. And any good work in us, he gets the credit for. And the talents and the gifts that you have, you don't get to say, okay, I just need to be more confident. You find your confidence in the fact that there is a God who is working in you and promises to work in you and prepare those works and has wired you in a way for his glory, has wired you in a way so that he might be brought more glory for you. Are you taking that wiring and saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use it. Use it. We run this race with confidence that God will do the work that God will supply in us. We take those steps of faith, those vulnerable steps of faith where fear steps in and says, man, I'm gonna fail. And we take our step not on, no, no, I'm tough enough, I'm strong enough. We take our step on, he is tough enough, he is strong enough, and yes, he will use me because he says he will. And the results might not look like what you think they're gonna look like, but he promises that he will use us. Okay, third big point here in Matthew 25 <clears throat> And I think this is important. We're given different gifts, right? We're, we're given different gifts in this parable, right? There are three different servants. There's three different amounts, right? He didn't give the same amount. To, we're given different gifts, um, each according to his ability in verse, in verse 15. Um, one of the things that happens anytime I think about, um, man, how I should invest 
right, my life and spend my life in a way that has an, an impact eternally and knowing that I'm going to be held accountable to that and what should that look like. Here's one of the really sneaky, evil things that sneaks in for me. Comparison. Comparison to somebody else's gift. Comparison that, well, wait, that person is, is gifted in a different way. Um, I got uh, to the blessing of getting to start this thing called the residency at Christ Chapel several years ago. It was a really neat, cool opportunity. And so it started with kind of me and our executive pastor, and it was kind of us running the classroom format. There's like a classroom thing, and there's um, a ministry aspect to it. There's a lot of neat stuff uh, that goes on in it. And I used to kind of run the classrooms, and um, that was kind of my thing and help with that stuff in, in partnership with our executive pastor. <clears throat> and then a, uh, an incredible guy I work with, he he works here, Tyler Durham, stepped into the program too. Super gifted guy, he's the grow pastor. A lot of you guys know him. And so he stepped in. And so he started kind of stepping into, he's getting his PhD at Southwestern, super sharp guy, loves Jesus. And so he stepped into a lot of the classroom stuff. And I remember one of the early years talking to one of the girls who was in the residence, residency. And she was saying, yeah, I had no idea what you guys were talking about. But when Tyler explained it, it made a ton of sense. <laughs> and what she meant was, hey, Ben, for the last month, as you've been trying to explain it, I haven't gotten anything. But then in 30 minutes, Tyler explained it really well, right? And so for me, there's like this like, I'm going to slash his tires. Like, <laughs> I, I know whose house I'm going to firebomb tonight. I now know. I was thinking about it, and now I know. It's going to be Tyler's, <clears throat> right? And all of this like, well, wait a sec. Like this, I mean, like the classroom thing, like that's my thing. And one of the things that I realized is Tyler is way more gifted than I am in that. He is way more gifted in what it looks like to, to build a classroom setting and facilitate that and facilitate conversation and teach and all of those things. And it doesn't mean that I then surrender forever. Well, wait a second. Somebody's better than me at teaching and, and classroom settings and really being able to facilitate that. Somebody's better, so I'm never going to do that. No, no, no. It's not what it means. It doesn't give me a pass to say, well, because someone's more gifted, because then I'm taking comparison and I'm allowing that as an excuse to not use any gifts. But it allows me to say, in this situation, man, he's gifted in a different way. He's been given different gifts than I've been given. And God's using that in an incredible way. So I'm going to try to get out of the way of that. I'm going to get out of the way and let him use his gift because he's better at it than I am. And there might be other opportunities where I step into that obediently and I'm teaching in a classroom setting or whatever that looks like. But comparison happens all the time, especially when we're trying to run this race and we're trying to do ministry Right, And I don't want you to think vocational, working for a church ministry. I want you to think doing things that are eternal, loving people, speaking truth into their life, serving those who are on the outside of the church, people who are broken, ministering, doing the gospel ministry that we're commanded to, seeing your world as a mission field, as an opportunity to do ministry, whatever world that is that you live in. And yet so often we look to the left and to the right when clearly God gives different gifts he just does. And if we see the kingdom as a competition, right? If we see this kingdom building as a competition, then yeah, I'm going to act accordingly. But if I see this <clears throat> building the kingdom of God of a whole bunch of different people bringing different blocks to build the throne of God, all different shapes and all different sizes and all different amounts, well, then my focus is, man, I want to be a part of building the throne of God that my God will sit on eternally and receive worship and glory. And man, I get excited about that. And my block maybe is a triangle and his block is maybe a rectangle and we have different gifts. 
But if I see kingdom as competition, then yes, I'll act accordingly. And when I see it, I've gotta, I've gotta admit that and I've gotta repent from that and I've gotta admit that it's evil and I've gotta run from those thoughts. I gotta say them out loud. Say, oh my goodness, Tyler, I'm, I'm seeing this as a competition. I'm seeing this as my pride or your pride. Admitting that. And then also not using comparison. Also say, well, I'm just gonna let other people do it. But stepping in boldly where the opportunity presents itself. And, and one last thing, um, a truth that I think helps me find freedom from competition, right? Not just, receive, not just understanding a perspective that this can be a competition, but a real freedom of how do we really set my mind free from this idea of competition is, is the fourth truth, I think, in Matthew 25, which is our gifts are not for ourselves. Our gifts are not for ourselves, folks. This whole thing, this work, the talents you've been given, the life that you've been given is not for yourself. Verse 27, right? It is his money that he expects when he returns. He, he expects it with interest. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. We are playing with his investment. And this is not about us. It is about him and it is about his glory. What are your gifts? What are those gifts? What are those opportunities that God's given you? What are the things that you're good at, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you're sensitive towards, the, the places you live, the people you know? What are the gifts God's given you? They are not about you. What are the things you're good at, the talents you have? They are not about you. They are about God's glory, being used for God's glory. And when I ask the question, what are your gifts? If you say, I don't know what my gifts are. Right, if tonight you think, I don't really know where I'm gifted or how I'm gifted. <clears throat> then I want you to go and find your home group leader and say, hey, I need you to speak into my life what you see in me. God has designed us to live in community for a reason. If you're not in a home group, I want you to go to the info table and say, I need to be in community of other believers. I need other people around me. This thing doesn't work single serving. This, this Christian life doesn't work as just a, a solo trip. This thing is meant to be done in community so that I have other people who see me and can speak into my life and say, no, man, I don't know that that's a gift that you have. Or yes, you're gifted in that way. Run in that area and have other people being able to speak lovingly into your life. We need that. And as we identify those, we immediately take those and say, that's not for my promotion. That's not for my fame. That's not for my credibility. That is for the glory of God. Last thing I wanna share, last big point. And then I'll wrap this up and then we will worship and worship and worship. <clears throat> we will be held accountable. We will be held accountable. Uh, this is pretty obvious and pretty sobering in this parable. He shows back up and he holds them accountable. First two servants are rewarded. There's severe punishment for the third servant <clears throat> who doesn't invest, doesn't get out of his comfort zone, doesn't take risks, sits on it. If you are a Christian in this room, and you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I put my faith in Christ. Praise God, you're saved. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But you are now called to invest your life. You're not called to sit on it, and you will be held accountable to how you live your life and how you invest your life. 
You have opportunities and a life for his glory to invest. And man, what I want for my life, what I want, what I want for your life is that you stand before Jesus and it is not the oh no moment. I wasn't prepared for this and what, it, it, I just got the bus ticket and now I'm getting on the bus. It, it is a well done, good and faithful servant. It is a God who looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. By his power in you, by his working through you, by the works that he prepared for you, well done, good and faithful servant. Way to be obedient. Way to surrender and follow where I was working, where I was doing things. Way to step radically into spending your life for me, whether that's in the workplace or on the campus or in ministry or on mission trips or wherever that's. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's not. We will be held accountable. The church will be held accountable. And to my friends who are in this room who are still searching and you're still walking through that and you're still looking and you're not there yet. And I love that you're here. I love that you are here. You are my favorite person in this room other than my wife. You are my favorite person in this room. I love that you're here, but, but you say, man, I am not, I'm not a follower of Christ yet. How does this apply to me? Like this, was a, this was a parable that was told to the disciples, right? To the most radical followers of Jesus, right? People who were all in. And if you're in this room and you realize, you know what? I don't know that I'm there yet. I love you. You will still be held accountable for your life. I love you. And you will be held accountable for your life. And I believe and I have given my life to preach this message over and over and over again. And one day the spirit gives us ears to hear. And my hope is maybe for somebody it's tonight. But I believe with everything that you will stand before the creator, the God of the universe. And you will be held accountable for your life. And there is nothing that you can do in your life that will earn you enough favor with God in that moment. There is no amount of religion There's no amount of renovate attendance. There's no amount of good deeds that you can do to be able to stand before that God and say, look at all of my good deeds. Look at all of the good kind things I did. And you try to maybe invest and do good Christian things, but you don't know Jesus. Matthew 7 is, I think, the scariest passage in scripture. It's this this passage where Jesus says, in the end, many will come to me. Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I cast out demons and do miracles and, and so many of these amazing works in your, day and in your name. And Jesus will look at them and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. I, I didn't know you. And so you're in this room and you hear this and you think, okay, so I need to do more good Christian things so that I'm accountable. No, you need to meet and surrender to Jesus Christ, a God who loves you and offers you salvation, not because you've done good things, but because he is merciful and gracious to broken people, to sinful people. He is merciful and gracious. And he offers that grace to everybody. And our role is we get to receive that. And so if you've never received the grace of God because you think you've gone too far, you think you're too much of a sinner, you think you need to get cleaned up a little bit more before you can take that step, he says, no, I want you broken and dirty and filthy and all of those things and I will make you new and I will make you clean. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is no way that you can do it. 
you will be held accountable and you will not be able to meet it without Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life, who died the death I deserved and you deserve and rose again. And so we say, Lord, I cannot do this and I put my faith in Jesus, not in my own doing. And and this incredible spiritual thing happens when we surrender our life to God and we get around community and we continue to walk out that faith in our life. And that's what we're called to. And then as we do that, we become brothers and sisters and we become sons and daughters of the king of the universe and then we get to live our life in response to that and we get to invest it. And we get to radically, radically invest our life so that we stand before a God who loves us unconditionally and then says, well done, well done. Church, we've got work to do and it is his work and it is his abilities, and it is for his glory. Don't miss that. Let's not be surprised by that. Let's not miss that. Would we have ears to hear? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for how you love us so sweetly. Thank you for the gospel, God, which purchases for everyone here the grace to be yours, Lord. Uh, Would you give us ears to hear? And Lord, for those who know you, God, would you help my callous heart, would you help our callous heart identify the places of our life that we are just sitting on our gifts? Holy Spirit, convict us tonight. Convict us of laziness and slothfulness and apathy. Convict us of things that you have put on our heart that maybe we've tried to suppress because it's not what we wanted and it wasn't for our glory or we didn't think we had time or we were afraid of failure or we, we saw somebody else do it better and we thought we couldn't compete. Convict us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Would your church come alive and live radically to invest our lives for your kingdom in whatever way you want all for your glory, in the name of Jesus, amen. We hope tonight was a blessing for you. Uh, We hope it was encouraging, but also we hope it was challenging. Uh, This idea that we're gonna be held accountable for our resources, for our talents, for our time, for our uh, giftings, uh, for the relationships we have, would we not squander it? Would we not miss it? Would we live radical lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for his kingdom and the expansion of his kingdom and the depth of his kingdom that he calls us and allows us to get to be a part of. Uh, That is an incredible thing that we get to partake in, so would we not squander it? Uh, Let us know how we can love you well. Maybe, Maybe you don't know what those gifts and talents, and you don't know how to serve, and you don't know how to have your life poured out in a way that you you might feel is radical or obedient. So that's what the body of Christ is for. Reach out to us, renovatefw.org. We'd love to meet with you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to get you plugged in serving somewhere, using your gifts for the glory of God. Love you. God bless.